Welcome to the Students of Surgery podcast series, where we shed light on common surgical topics. Welcome back. We have Dr. Mari Kirsten uh, from Pete's Surgery Department, Steve Beaker Academic Hospital, talking to us today about neonatal bowel obstruction. Welcome back, Dr. Kirsten. Thank you very much. Good morning. So what would be the most common causes of a neonatal bowel obstruction? The majority of bowel obstruction in newborn babies is caused by bowel atresia, which could be esophageal atresia, small bowel atresia, the most common ones, together with anorectal malformations. About 10% of patients with bowel obstruction would have Hirschsprung's disease, and the other 10% a malrotation with a volvulus or meconium ileus. Are we able to diagnose any of these bowel obstructions in the prenatal period? Yes, clinically, if a mother's got polydrumnials, then you should think that there's something wrong. That's a definite sign of bowel obstruction in a baby, although of course there can be other causes as well. If it's possible to do an ultrasound on the baby, uh, on the mother antenatally, and then evaluate the baby if there's only two bubbles, then you know that this was mo- is, is most probably a duodenal atresia, or only a few bubbles, then you know there's an obstruction somewhere. That's the most important way that you can make an antenatal diagnosis. And what would be a baby's clinical presentation in the early postpartum period? One can distinguish between high and low bowel obstruction. If we talk about high bowel obstruction, the first one that comes to mind is esophageal atresia. And in these babies, they will be vomiting with the very first feed that you give them. They won't be fine and vomit later on or the second day or a few hours later. When you try and feed the baby, they'll vomit immediately. So of a high bowel obstruction, that is the first sign is the vomiting. Sometimes they don't have uh, bowel dis- abdominal distension and uh, they could pass a little bit of mucus through the anus, uh, which is of course not meconium, but there might be something. Then the, in a low bowel obstruction, the first sign would actually be this very distended abdomen and not passing meconium at all and uh, vomiting is then a later sign. And what would be some clinical examination findings in these babies? If we start from the top, the first one with an esophageal atresia, apart from vomiting the first feet, this baby will be drooling because he cannot swallow his saliva. Um, And for the rest, you might not find a lot of clinical abnormalities. In uh, small bowel atresia, this baby might have just epigastric abdominal distension and not much lower down. Whereas in a patient with a low bowel obstruction like Hirschsprung's disease or a malrotation with a volvulus, you'll have a marked abdominal distension. In Hirschsprung specifically, you'll find uh, that you do with percussion, um, you'll find a lot of air in the abdomen. And then to complete your physical examination, even in a newborn baby, it is very important to do a digital rectal examination. Without that, your clinical examination is not complete. What would you find? 
Number one, if it's an anorectal malformation, you might find that there's not an anal opening. If you don't look, you're going to miss this one, especially if in the anorectal malformation they've got a fistula. So they're passing meconium somewhere else. You find meconium in the nappy, but there's no anus. The only way to make that diagnosis is to examine the perineum. Uh, secondly, if you do a PR on a patient with Hirschsprung's disease, you'll find an explosion of stools afterwards. If it's just sticky meconium and you do a PR, you might stimulate this baby to pass some of that meconium and relieve some of the symptoms. And what is the role of x-rays in these patients? To start again with esophageal atresia, if you suspect this baby might have esophageal atresia, you'll try and put in a nasogastric tube, which would curl up. And if you take a chest x-ray, you'll find this curled up nasogastric tube clearly on the x-ray. You can also distinguish in these babies what type of esophageal atresia. I'm not going to go into much detail. I think it's important that you know there is a type of esophageal atresia where there's no fistula to the distal bowel. And when you then take a chest x-ray and an abdominal x-ray, you'll get a complete gasless abdomen. And that is then a pure esophageal atresia. No fistula, no air in the distal bowel, and you still find the curled up tube in the neck. Then if you've got uh, small bowel atresia, the most common one is duodenal atresia. And in duodenal atresia, you'll find a, a bubble of gas in the stomach and then in the first part of the duodenum. And that's classically called the double bubble, which is the sign of duodenal atresia. Other atresias, you'll find a little bit more bubbles. Typically, you'll find the stomach bubble and then some extra bubbles, which means that could be then a duodenal or an ileal atresia. Then if you've got a malrotation with a volvulus, this baby would have an acute abdomen on clinical examination. And when you take an x-ray, you will see air fluid levels. Now, how do you do that? We, to get an erect x-ray on a baby, it can be difficult, especially if the baby is not stable or a premature baby, difficult to handle. And then we would request, request you to do a lateral shoot through. On that one, you'll see multiple air fluid levels and not only one or two as in a small bowel atresia. Then the, the last example I want to mention is in Hirschsprung's disease. Hirschsprung's disease does not have air fluid levels. They've got lots and lots of air stuck in the bowel because they can't, cannot pass any stools. And then you'll see this massively distended abdomen without air fluid levels. That's typical of Hirschsprung's disease. And maybe if you could enlighten us as to some of the principles of management for all these various conditions. If we start from the top with esophageal atresia, the most important thing is that you should keep that nasogastric tube in, even though it's not going down to the stomach, and do constant suctioning. There are some very special tubes available, a replogal tube to do constant suctioning, 
but this is a nice to have. If you're in a rural hospital, just put in an ordinary tube and instruct the nurse to aspirate that every five to ten minutes to prevent the saliva from going into the esophagus. The important thing with esophageal atresia is that you, if there's a fistula, you need to tie off that fistula. So therefore you need to do a thoracotomy. But before you can do that, you need to look for other abnormalities. And typically in esophageal atresia, you might have other cardiac abnormalities. And you need to know exactly what they are before you do a thoracotomy that would uh, help you decide on which side to do the thoracotomy, depending on the anatomy of the heart. At the operation, you will then tie off the fistula and then in ideal cases, you'll do a primary anastomosis between the proximal and distal esophagus. There's a lot to say about uh, variations in esophageal atresia and different types, but I don't think in the scope of this podcast, it's important to discuss that. Well, thank you very much. Um, and are there any specific caveats that you would like to add for the small bowel atresias? Duodenal atresia is the most common one and what I want to stress here is that sometimes this babies might have a partial obstruction. They might have a web in their duodenum with a perforation, which means they can maybe tolerate one feed or two feeds and then with a third feed they start vomiting. How do you know now if this is a bowel obstruction or is it just a mother with a first baby and a feeding problem. The important thing to check is what is this baby vomiting? And if it's bilis vomiting, it cannot be a feeding problem. If it's bilis vomiting, it's an obstruction until proven otherwise. So therefore, if a baby has got the signs of vomiting, even if it's intermittent, put in a nasogastric tube, see what is draining from there. If it's a green stuff, you know that there's an obstruction distal to ampulla of father. And then you treat this baby as a bowel obstruction, transfer properly with an IV line, nasogastric tube on free drainage, keep the baby warm, send us the proper documentation, arrange for the transfer, and then we'll evaluate the baby here. If it's possible to take an x-ray there, you'll take a, a, a plain abdominal x-ray and then most probably you'll see that there is a bowel obstruction. How do you see that? There's no air in the rectum. And if you then do a lateral shoot through, you might see where is the air fluid levels. The double bubble would then be the small bowel atresia. Is there anything different for meconium ileus? Yes, in meconium ileus is actually a diagnosis by exclusion of all the other conditions. So I don't think in a peripheral hospital you make the diagnosis of meconium ileus. You'll make the diagnosis of a bowel obstruction. It's important that you think, is this a high or a low obstruction? Prepare the baby and transfer to us and then we'll evaluate. We need to distinguish between meconium ileus and Hirschsprung's disease. The features might look very similar, but there are distinct differences. And the first one is a meconium ileus might pass once to 
whereas the Hirschsprung's disease doesn't pass meconium at all. And on the x-ray, you might see the differences. What do we do then if we are not sure, is this a sticky meconium, meconium ileus, or is it Hirschsprung's disease? We'll do a small bowel washout with something like 25 milliliters of saline. And then if it's sticky meconium or meconium ileus, you're diluting the meconium and the baby will pass the meconium. In the tertiary hospital, you could also do a contrast study. Although we don't do that routinely, our clinical findings and our x-ray findings usually help us to decide which diagnosis is this, does this baby need an urgent operation or not. What about the contrast study? If you use water-soluble contrast, it might be diagnostic and or therapeutic. If it's a meconium ileus or sticky meconium and you give them uh, water-soluble contrast, it will dilute the meconium, the baby will start passing stools and all the symptoms will disappear. If it's a Hirschsprung's disease, then you'll find the very specific uh, narrow segment in the rectum, but that we'll discuss in the lecture about Hirschsprung's disease. Thank you. Do you have any other final concluding remarks with regards to neonatal bowel obstruction? It is not always possible to make a clinical diagnosis of the specific obstruction this baby has. But if you do the basic treatment, you relieve this baby from vomiting with a nasogastric tube, you do a PR and see if there's stools coming out, and then you transfer the baby in a proper way, we can do the definitive investigations to get to a proper diagnosis and do an operation appropriately. Thank you very much for an informative podcast. I'm sure we'll be hearing from you soon again. This edition of the Students of Surgery podcast has been produced by TuxFM. Visit www.tuxfm.co.za for young, fresh and relevant content. That was another edition of the Students of Surgery podcast series, where we shed light on common surgical topics.